Okay. Well, <clears throat> some of you haven't been here in a while, but, and then some of you have, but this is our last week in this series we've been doing called Lies of the Devil. And next week, we're going to start our last series before summer comes. Is that, I mean, hard to believe? It's gonna, we have one more four-week series. We're going to do a series on temptation, and then summer's going to be here. So... Actually, no. Summertime is going to be kind of special, and we'll talk about that more as we get closer. But for tonight, I want to finish up. Huh? Oh, yes, life lessons. You're right. You're very, yes, very smart. Yes. Very, very funny. Um, you should take that on the, on the road. This is the final message in this series, and... I would say, if, if I had to say that there was something that I have seen do more damage in people's lives or cause more damage in and outside the church, um, ruined more marriages, more relationships, um, more families than anything else in, in my entire life, and I didn't realize I haven't lived a whole long life, um, but in 27 years I've seen this cause more damage than anything else I can think of, and it's the lie, it's just sex. And... I didn't tell a lot of people that we were going to, I mean, I told you guys this morning that that's what we were going to talk about, but I didn't, you know, get real crazy about letting everybody know because I have a ten, there's a tendency when you tell people you're going to talk about sex, either two, one of two things happens. Either everybody shows up or nobody shows up. So I think we got a good even mix of, um, of that. But people you go to school with, um, if... if most of you all go to public school, right? I think. Are you the only one that doesn't go to public school? <laughs> all right, thank you. I don't go to public school. Um, you have probably seen this lie in action in your schools, right? Well, that's not what I meant. You know what I mean. Um, um, You've seen it in, in you, you've seen this, this kind of, uh, this lie do damage in movies, in people's lives that you know. Um, you've seen it in magazines, in books, um, all over the place. Perhaps even, you know, you, you've, heard, you've heard adults talk about it in this manner, that it's, oh, it's, it's just sex. It's, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. it. It doesn't matter. It's just a physical act that has no, you know... No other attachment to it. What's what's wrong with that? And um, let me just say, from my own life, I realize that 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 is a those are huge lies. The devil has convinced the world that oh, it's just sex and and it's no big deal. He's convinced the world of several things. Um, one is that we cannot live without sex. When you agree that you see that in our culture, that it's like if you're not having sex, then you're not cool or you're not, you know. How do you live without sex? Um, second thing is, is that the second lie would be that it enhances our dating relationships. Um, another another lie pertaining to this this the bigger lie is just sex would be it's okay to do everything else, just don't have sex. As long as you get right up to that line, you're okay. Um, and then the last thing I would say with that is, is that sex increases love and commitment. Um, 
these are all lies, and they've created a major problem. Now, if you guys were here, I think it was would it be two weeks ago Wednesday, so not this last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, I was asking for prayer about my tooth. Um, and it's really strange how this transfer kind of took place. I was asking you for prayer because I was in a lot of pain because my tooth was hurting. I have a wisdom tooth that's coming, and it's like rubbing against my cheek. And, yeah, it's kind of gross. But we prayed about it that night, and I don't know that this is necessarily an answer to prayer or just, again, the pattern of it being in pain and then not being in pain. But the very next day, like Thursday, Friday, I felt fine. The pain went away. It was completely fine. And then this last Wednesday, I went to the, went to the dentist, and they're like, okay, we got to get that out. But I was like, well, it doesn't really hurt. Maybe I can prolong this surgery a little bit longer because I'm not a big fan of the dentist. I go to the dentist, and I get really nervous, and I don't like it. And so I was like, maybe we could just leave it in there for a little while longer just till it starts hurting again and then I cry and complain and we'll go and have it taken out well they were kind of like you have to get it taken out you have to deal with the problem because see there's a problem I mean it was such a bad problem two weeks ago that I couldn't hardly eat I couldn't think about anything else but how bad my tooth hurt I was complaining about it and whining about it you remember this right and so I couldn't let it go, and, but, but now that it seems like it's gone, it seems like the problem went away, but it's only going to come back eventually. And, and I think that this is kind of how we treat, in, in real life, we treat this idea of, oh, it's just sex. It, it's a massive problem in, in some of our lives and in our culture, and we just say, well, I'll just ignore it. I'll just, you know, just let it go and not... Did I just echo? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we just, we'll pray the problem away. We'll just pray about it, and then it'll go away. Um, we could medicate, I could medicate the pain with my tooth. I could pray for God to take it away. I could do all these things, but it's not going to take away the problem until somebody gets in there with a pair of pliers or whatever they do, you know. <laughs> and they're going to rip it out. They're going to rip out the problem. And I think that that's what some of us in our lives need as it relates to the problem of sex and sexuality is a problem that needs to be ripped out, so to speak. And I think this is true for not just people your age, but people your age and way up, and then people in the church and outside the church. Um, and I think the issue is, is, is all centered around the idea that it's, not, it's never just sex. It's never just sex. When two people come together like that, there's something so much deeper that's taking place than just a physical act that doesn't really matter, that doesn't have emotion and, and uh, you know, this spiritual connection and, and mental connection and so much more than just a physical thing. Sex and the overabundance of sexual material in our culture, I believe, has done damage that may never be repaired. Um, and I, and, I, and I shared a few weeks ago in one of our messages, just real briefly, but, um, and I don't want to get into a lot of detail about it tonight either, but I will say for my own life personally, this lie has done so much damage in my life. I have believed this lie at different points in my life from junior high to high school, well, beyond high school into college. I made terrible decisions sexually, terrible decisions, and I allowed myself to become a statistic, basically. Um, and, and it's been interesting. I've been preparing for this message. I did a bunch of research on like teen sexuality and things that, you know, has changed in your, in your generation and, and even my generation in our culture. Um, 
And there were some things that blew me away, and I want to share those with you. Um, I read this past week that 20%, and, and I feel like this seems low, but, but as I've shared this with other people, they're like, that doesn't seem low. So 20% of teenagers have either sent or posted nude or semi-nude pictures of themselves online or through text messaging. 39% have either sent or posted sexually suggestive messages, either through text messaging or online. Another study that I read basically said that one-third of all adolescents have sent nude pictures of themselves. That's basically, and I'm not doing this, to, it doesn't mean anything, I'm just showing you basically, there'll be you out of you three, you out of you three, and then if, and then Both. you... Yes, the two of you out of this group. I mean, out of the group that we have here, that's three of just this amount of people here. That's three of us that would have done that. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a big deal. Another study showed that one-third of 16-year-olds, 48% of 17-year-olds, and 61% of 18-year-olds have all had sex before marriage. That just blows my mind. I mean, really, that's a lot. When you think about 61% of kids who are 18 years old, that's over half of all 18-year-olds have had sex before marriage. Um, each year, this, will, this is crazy to me too, each year 750,000 women ages 15 to 19 get pregnant. Think about that. Is, is there anybody in here younger than 15 right now? Okay, so that would be like more applicable to the three of you then. But still, even adding 13 and 14-year-olds, I think the number goes over 800,000. That's over 800,000 girls your guys' age that are going to be mothers. That's, that's insane. This lie, it's just sex, has created a massive problem. And before, before we jump into our text, if you have your Bible and you want to get it out um, or you get the app out, um, we're going to be in 2 Samuel. But before we get there, I want, I want to just say something really, really quick here. I believe that if you have made the mistake of believing this lie, oh, it's just sex, it doesn't matter, it's no big deal, then it's really possible that you've allowed your life to begin to head down a path that is going to lead to great destruction. Um, and and it's, it's a path that that when you begin to make those decisions and you head down that path, and I'm not saying that you're going to be a bad person or that your life is going to be terrible and it's going to totally, you know, you're going to become a murderer or something like I'm not saying that. But trust me from my own experience, it, it leads down a path where you experience, the, you, you do, do these things that have lifelong repercussions, lifelong regret, lifelong pain, lifelong consequences from Decisions that you make in just a moment, because in a moment it seems like it's okay. Um, but let's not just let's not take my word for it. Let's look at what the Bible says to say has to say about this, because there's a lot does the Scripture say, and we're going to look at a really familiar story. Um, are you guys all familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba? What a beautiful name! Isn't that just a great name that every girl would want to have? Bathsheba. It sounds like an animal name. Like something off of Lion King. Seriously. 
Um, very familiar story, though. And I want to point out three things that I think David does in this story that when we are tempted sexually, not that David, not, although he was King David for a week, um, different David, there are three things that David does in the story that when we wrestle with temptation, specifically sexual temptation, we are tempted to do. And it's, we're going to start out chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And the first thing that David does is he starts to relax and neglect what matters. And we do this too. We start to relax and neglect what matters. This is what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there. David, he, he makes this mistake of relaxing, of taking the night off. Now, if you know the history of David, you remember that he was, it was like said that he was going to be king as he was just a little kid. I mean, you know, you remember he takes the rock and he kills Goliath and all that goes on. I mean, this, he's been, it's been spoke of him being king since he was a small child out in the field tending sheep. And so he's worked his whole life to become king. I mean, could you imagine working your whole life to be some, just to be the one thing you've known since you're a child? You're going to grow up and you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a princess or whatever. You know, I mean, I don't know why I looked at you and said that, but maybe, maybe <laughs> Nathan, you're going to be a princess and a doctor. Well, let's hope that your life is, yes, let's hope that it works out for you like that because that would be great. But you work your whole life to become something and then you just decide one day, to neglect what matters, to take a break, to take the night off. And that's what David does. He neglected his responsibilities as king, as king and stayed in Jerusalem. And I, I just think that this, this is so true for us when it comes to, to dealing with this lie that it's just sex. We reach a point where we stop trying to avoid the temptation. We slowly neglect the warning signs, the things that keep popping up in our face saying, hey, don't go down this path. And then we find ourselves fully immersed <clears throat> in a life of sexual sin. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about from my own life. When I was in high school, I dated this girl <clears throat> who will remain nameless. It wasn't Allison, um, just so you know. But, um, and we were both Christians, and we wanted to do things right. We set out with the best of intentions. And so we set up these rules and these boundaries in our relationship. And there were rules that were good rules, like, hey, don't be in a room alone. Don't be in a house by yourself without parents or you know, somebody else around, um, another adult around. Or, or, and these are the two that I think like, should be like absolutes for all of you. Don't use a blanket together, and don't watch a movie in the dark. I know it seems silly, but I'm telling you those things, that is a recipe for disaster. Watching a movie in the dark and getting a blanket, it's just, it doesn't lead to making popcorn. I promise you that. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> well, I know it. There, it is. I mean, it really, it really can be. And and in in my situation, we set out, you know, to to do it right, basically, to not break those rules. And we started to neglect those things, and it just it led to no to nowhere good. It, it became this great temptation. 
And this is a pretty graphic story, um, but I think it really proves the point. I, I heard years ago this story about how Eskimos um, are supposed, supposedly will trap a wolf that is like a, a nuisance to their village. You know, uh, wolves will come in and they'll threaten the village, they'll threaten children, and, and they become dangerous. And so what they do to trap them is they take a, a knife and they'll dip it in blood. And they'll freeze it. And they just repeat this process of dip it in blood, freeze it. Like, take your flip-flop and dip it in blood and freeze it. I'm just kidding. Take it and dip it in blood and freeze it and dip it. And they just do this over and over and over again until there's tons of layers of frozen blood on the knife. And then they bury it in the snow with the blade sticking up. And this wolf will come, thirsty for blood, and start licking that knife. And licking it. And licking it. Until he doesn't realize but the blade has actually cut his tongue, and he's drinking his own blood. And I know this is gross. I'm sorry. Um, and what happens is he just continues to lick that blade because he's so thirsty for blood, but he doesn't realize he's drinking his own blood. And by morning time, he's laying dead in the snow. Yeah, sad stuff. Well, I think that, yeah, there's not a mess. You're high. See, the wolf doesn't notice that there's a problem. And I think that that's true for many of us when it comes to dealing with sexual temptation. We're playing with sin. We're playing with that line. We're walking kind of a tightrope, and we don't realize how close we are to finding ourselves laying in the snow dead. Not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. The second thing that David does that we do is we go to places that we shouldn't go. Listen to this, verse 2. On or one evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, <clears throat> yeah, the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliamad, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, I can guarantee you that when David heard that, he was freaking out. Most men do, even when they're married. When Allison told me that she was pregnant with Jocelyn, I about passed out because we weren't, you know, we weren't exactly planning on having another baby at that time, so it shocked me. And so I imagine that David was pretty shocked at this moment. But he, he went to a place that he should have never gone. And I know that it seems insignificant, because you think about it, he, he went up on the rooftop. What's so bad about the rooftop? Well, in this time, in this day and age, David lived in the palace, which was the highest point of the entire kingdom, and it overlooked everything. And because they didn't have running water, they couldn't go to the bathroom, turn the faucet on hot, let the water fill up, and then go get in the bathtub. What they did was they would fill up the bath during the day and let the sun heat the bath up, and then in the evening time, all the women would go on the rooftops, which is where the tub was, and take a bath. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a nice hot bath, right? Well, no, every house, I mean... Basically, it was like that for every house. Every house had the bath on top. And David goes up there. He can see every house. He's looking down on the entire kingdom. Hey, Olivia, what's going on? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, but but then you got you got Creeper David up there, not you, David. But he's watching all this go on. It. I mean, this really. This was the equivalent of in our culture now going and getting on the computer and looking at pornography. David didn't just stumble upon this and be like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know they were out there." Yeah, I was out here looking for some stars, and you're taking a bath. How dare you? He knew what was going down, man. He went up there knowing what was going on. And I think this is true for us. We allow ourselves to go places that we shouldn't go. And we've got to watch where we go. Maybe it's on the computer. We have to watch what we're looking at on the computer. Maybe it's in books. And I, I mean, I know there are books out there that are just, it's just pure trash. You know? Um, maybe it's even in a bookstore. I mean, I heard someone tell a story the other day, you know, about remembering as a kid. You know, his mom, and then we would go shopping in a store, and he would go, and he would, because back then they, they would put all the, like, pornography magazines, they it didn't have them hidden, or they weren't in some special place, they were just out there for everybody to see, and he would go when mom didn't know and wasn't paying attention, and go and just thumb through them, you know, have a, have, have a good time looking at these magazines, and, may, and, you know, it's still true, there are bookstores where, you know, that are, that have all kinds of other books that still have that stuff there, and, and maybe you got to watch where you go. Um, maybe it's a particular person's house that you know if you go there, things go on that you shouldn't be around. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. There are certain places, though, that we shouldn't allow ourselves to go because it's not good for us. Um, using pornography as an example, uh, like I said a few weeks ago, that's something I've seen personally cause a lot of damage. Um, but I believe that if you've allowed yourself to head down this path, in a relationship uh, where you're doing things that they're, they're not necessarily sex. Maybe that's not true for anybody. Maybe in here you've all, you've not crossed that line. But maybe you've flirted with that line. Maybe you've gotten close to that line. Let me tell you, that is just as damaging and just as wrong. Um, this might be a little uncomfortable for just a minute. Be okay with that. Um, I feel weird saying this, but... I feel like it's, it's important to say. Um, this idea that people say, oh, well, as long as you're not having intercourse, oral sex is okay. Touching each other, that's okay. You know, doing stuff without your clothes on, that's okay, as long as you don't have sex. It's not okay. That's all a part of this lie. You cannot let yourself go down that path. You've got to watch where you go. And the last thing, and then we'll close, is... We try to cover up our mistakes. David, after he discovers that Bathsheba is pregnant, it's like crisis lockdown mode at his house. He's freaking out. He's trying to like, what can I do to fix this? This crazy woman says like she's pregnant. You know, I'm going to, they're going to find out. You know, they're going to know that it's mine. And so he decides to call Uriah, her husband, back from the battle and try to convince him to go home and lay with his wife. But Uriah, he gets him back from the battle, and Uriah, he refuses to go home. He won't do it because he's an honorable man. Who's, he's concerned. His, his other men that he's fighting in battle with and his commanders, they're out in the field. They're sleeping in the fields in tents and, and on the ground, and they're not with their wives. And, and he, he says, I, I, he just will not do it, no matter how much David pleads with him and tries to convince him to go home. He even gets him drunk, and he still won't do it. Um, so David comes up with a plan B. And his plan B... It's is pretty bad, yeah. David decides 
to send him back into battle. And this is what happens. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Can you imagine carrying your own death sentence? Like literally, you have a letter in your hand that says, kill this man. And it's talking about you. Kill, you know, kill Ashley. And you're taking that to the person that's going to kill you. Can you imagine? Well, he, he didn't read it, you know, so he didn't sneak a peek or anything. He takes it. Yeah, I would have been pretty concerned. I would have been curious. Um, it says, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. Where, When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So David, after all this, sleeping with Bathsheba, getting her pregnant, all the sin, all the being led away from God, in the end, he decides to try to cover it up. He tries to hide it. He has one of his best friends killed, all to cover up his sin. Now, let's be really honest for a moment. And I'm going to have you kind of respond, not in great detail, but I just want you to, to kind of tell me if this is true for you. When it comes to dealing with temptation, in particular, sexual temptation, maybe it could be any temptation or any sin of any kind, not necessarily that. But isn't it true that you sometimes find yourself just relaxing and neglecting, maybe neglecting your parents' rules, maybe neglecting your own convictions about something, maybe your own morality or your own beliefs about what is right and wrong in a moment because you're tempted to do something. It seems good. Have you ever felt that way? You just kind of like, you just don't really want to try hard to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing is just a little bit too hard to do. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were in a place that you knew you shouldn't be? Is that true for anyone here? You don't have to necessarily raise your hand, but maybe you could do a nod. You found yourself in a place that you shouldn't be. Maybe it was alone with a boy or girl or looking at something online that you shouldn't look at or sending pictures you shouldn't send or receiving pictures you shouldn't receive or maybe it's just simply talking about something or somebody else in a way that you shouldn't talk about them. I mean, you know, that could be as dumb and as silly as talking about somebody that you think is really hot and you just let it go a little bit too far, you know? And then lastly, I think this is true for me. You ever find yourself wanting to cover up your mistakes? To kind of like stuff it down and make sure nobody else sees it. You just don't want no one else to know. It's, it's just easier if we just bury it deep within my, you know, your soul and, and just don't let that cat out of the bag and just you know, sweep it under the rug. And just as long as nobody else knows about it, it'll be good, right? I, I'll be honest, that's, I think that's where I, I find myself the most tempted. When I struggle with sin or I'm dealing with something, it's so much easier to just kind of sweep that one under the rug. Um, there are consequences and pain that come from that, though. There is damage and hurt that can come from, from making these mistakes in a moment. And uh, there was one thing that I could, if I could just give each one of you, like, a gift that you could have in your life, would it be the opportunity to stand before your children one day and say, I did it right. <laughs> 
daddy did it right or mommy did it right. Or, or to stand before your future husband or your future wife one day and say, you know what, I waited for you. I mean, how awesome would that be? There are not very many people in our world now that can say that. I mean, think about that. You probably know countless people in your school, friends that you have, people that you know that could never say that. You know, I, I really wish that I, that I would be able to say that. Um, I really wish that I could have said that. I don't know where you're at with this. Nathan, you, wanna, you might want to set up over there because this, this can get dangerous here for a minute. And I don't think you need a mic. I want to close and I want to do something really kind of visual and done in the past in a different for, for different talk. Um, I didn't come up with this on my own, but um, I think it's a, a really great way to close this out. Nathan's just going to sing a song. We're not going to sing with him. Um, but as I kind of close, we have passes around. I want, I want to close and just tell you two things as we close. If you've made mistakes in this area, be it really small, maybe really big. It doesn't matter to me. I want you to know two things. One, that Jesus offers forgiveness. Maybe it's not even something you've sinned in a sexual way. It could be something totally different. I want you to know that Jesus offers forgiveness. And the second thing is we talked a couple weeks ago. If you're here, we talked about just follow your heart. The idea that we have to guard our heart and protect ourselves from temptation and from sin. And sometimes it means doing crazy things, going crazy lengths to protect our heart from going to that place or falling into that temptation. And so that may mean asking someone to keep you accountable who's going to have an uncomfortable conversation with you all the time and say, hey, what, how, what have you been looking at on the computer lately? Is it, would God be okay with that? Would your mom be okay with that? You know, what have you been, you know, doing when you're alone with that boy or whatever? Or that girl? Would Jesus be okay with that? You know, it takes someone who's willing to ask you those questions. Tonight, as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to confess areas of sin on these cards. And I'm going to do one too. No one's going to read it something sexual that we're talking about tonight, or it could be something totally different even that has nothing to do with what we talked about tonight. But I believe oh, with all my heart that each one of us has something that we can put on this card. Some area where we've messed up. Some area where we've sinned in a way and God is perhaps not okay with what we do. And we need to confess that. And what I'm going to ask you to do is write on your card and then with nobody looking at it, we're going to put it in, in this envelope. And kind of as a symbol of the fact that God forgives us of our sin, and then he forgets about it. 
completely. We're going to destroy the temple of God. And so I want to give you a few minutes of making things to write on your card, and you can just fill the card completely up if you need to, or it could just be one thing. But um, let's do it. Hurry up with my water, Rebecca. Just in case this goes south. I made sure there was no sprinkler system in here, as far as I can tell, there isn't. So. 
probably wouldn't go off. Anyways, you know, this, this envelope in many ways is a representation of a lot of sin in our life. A lot of times when we've crossed the line that maybe we shouldn't have crossed or done things that we shouldn't do and things that we're ashamed of. But tonight, as we close, as we kind of burn this in a symbol of God forgiving us, I, I would ask two things. One, we pray tonight, really confess this to God. Let this be your confession to God. And secondly, I would challenge you on Wednesday night when we do small groups to consider confessing whatever this is, whatever's on this card to, do it to your small group leader and talking about it. Because, and the reason I say that, not so much just because I think that people want to hear your dirty laundry. It's not that. But the best step towards having victory over this thing is having someone who can hold you accountable, who knows what you're dealing with. Because I would argue that there are probably a lot of people who have gone through the same thing and not the only one. So, Tonight we just come to you and just say thank you so much for your death on the cross and what that means for us. The idea that you've forgiven us of our sins. And God, that we can confess those to you. And not only do you forgive them, but you forget them. 
and uh, you wash us clean. And I just pray for each student here tonight as they confess whatever it was that was on that card to you, Jesus, that they would feel a sense of peace about that confession. Feel that sense of you washing them, forgiving them, and being able to let go. And God, may we have the strength to ask somebody to help hold us accountable and to uh, make sure that we don't fall into that that trap. Again, the temptation is so strong sometimes. And may we just have the strength, God, to put people, put people in our lives that will help keep us from falling into temptation. Lord, we just love you and thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. I'm playing basketball in a little bit. Oh, are they actually playing tonight? Oh.